Travis, you have no way of knowing this, but uh, that last verse was not up on the screen. How many of you knew it by heart, though? Yeah, real Christians in the house. All right. All right. Good deal. That was, uh, for me, there are some songs that make me think classic Sunday night song. Uh, that's one for me that was a classic Sunday night song. Uh, so man, thank you so much for leading that. Uh, speaking of Sunday nights, um, I'm going to preach tonight. Strangely enough, I, I don't know when the last time was that I preached on a Sunday night, but uh, Carter Ferguson, the pastor down at Canvas Community Church, asked if I would fill in for him tonight. He's away at a conference. Um, so if anybody's looking for something to do on a Sunday night, or if you feel like kind of throwing back to the old days when you went to church on Sunday night uh, at 5.30 over at Canvas, uh, I'll, I'll be over there teaching. So I'd love to have you. Um, and happy Father's Day to all the dads. Uh, we At Crosswalk, we have a whole host of brand new dads, like dads that are celebrating Father's Day for the first time. So especially congratulations to you guys. Happy Father's Day to you guys. Uh, Will, soon to be father on Father's Day. Congratulations to you and Laura. Uh, so excited for the two of you. Um, so yeah, so happy Father's Day. I know Father's Day, kind of like Mother's Day, comes with a lot of mixed emotions. Something about Father's Day tends to be not quite as emotionally heavy. Um, and But if you are a person who for for whom today is a hard day. As we say on Mother's Day, we rejoice with those who rejoice and we mourn with those who mourn. And so if today is an especially difficult day for you, uh, we do recognize that and, uh, and we mourn with you. Um, but for those who celebrate, we also celebrate alongside you. This morning, we're going to be we're gonna be kind of all over the place. We're going to be in Deuteronomy for a little bit. Uh, we're going to be in Luke for a little bit, and then we're going to be in Acts for a little bit. So uh, we're going to sort of span the, uh, the, the Bible this morning. Um, for those of you who were at the Dragon Boat Festival yesterday, again, thank you so much for being there. James and Cole, thank you guys for leading our team as our captain and co-captain. Y'all did an awesome job getting us organized and getting us fired up and excited about the event. Uh, some of you may have seen Justin put together a, a video from all of the, uh, what are those things called, GoPro cameras, so it's like... It's like you're in the boat, all right? Watch the video, it's like you're in the boat. Um, and man, it was just a fantastic experience all the way around. Some of you may remember uh, from our previous location over on Colonel Glen, there is this little tiny church that used to meet at our building after we would worship, and the preacher from that church now works over at CPC. And so he and I ran into each other a couple of times this weekend, and I saw him on my way out as I was leaving yesterday, and told him, man, this was just the greatest thing um, event-wise that I think I may have ever been part of because there was something there for everybody. Like if, if you were wanting to go out and have the full tailgate experience and play games and, and drink beer and, and hang out with friends and do all of that stuff, that was there for you to do it. If you wanted to bring the kids out and have a great time, you could do that. We brought our kids out and our kids had a, had a blast, even though my 13-year-old's being persnickety this morning. Uh, but our, uh, our kids went out and they had a blast. Um, and so there was just something there for everybody, and it was this really uplifting experience, and, and I lost track of the number of people who went, I had no idea this was going to be such a huge thing. Like, most of us probably pulled into park and went, whoa, I didn't know it was going to be this. Um, so man, I mean, just what an amazing, amazing thing. And events like that typically have some sort of community experience and feel, where people that you've never seen before, that you've never met before, 
you're like hugging them, you're high-fiving them, you're like, I think that guy's my best friend now. Um, and you just have this immediate bond with people that you otherwise wouldn't have had. Um, I talked with Travis this morning and Andy a little bit last week about the insane race that y'all did uh, a couple weeks ago. What was that called? Conquer the Gauntlet. Um, and, and, but the, the community that's at something like that especially that you're going through something suffering together. Uh, there's this, this instant community. I think that's why so many people get into the running world. That's why so many people get into like triathlons. It's not just the experience of doing the thing. It's the community that you find. You find that these are people that, that I have this instant connection and instant bond with. Um, that's what these stories in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 are. That feeling that you have where there's this thing that's going on that's uniting all of us, and even though I have no clue who you are or anything about you, I'm immediately connected with you on a level deeper than I'm connected with lots of other people. And so Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 are about this new community that happened because the gospel of Jesus uh, was fully expressed not just at the crucifixion, not just at the resurrection, uh, and not finally through Pentecost, but now it was being fully expressed within this community of believers. And so that's, that's what this morning is. This is about what happens when uh, this community pulls us together. Uh, this passage, um, it, it just feeds my soul. I'm a, if you're an Enneagram person, I'm a seven on the Enneagram. I'm a big dreamer. I'm a big picture person, and I love the, the idea that everybody was together, and everybody loved each other, and everybody shared everything, and everybody was happy all the time. Like that, to me, I'm like, yes, that's what we should all be doing all the time. And so this is sort of this bird's eye view of that community of what was going on, but it didn't last. And it's really important to say that, that this is Luke saying, here's what we were all after. Here's the goal. But as we'll find out in coming weeks, um, there were a lot of problems that came up when, when reality set in. So all of that from the beginning is what I want you to have in your mind um, as we talk about this. Like I said, we're going to start in Deuteronomy. Because in Deuteronomy, that's where we read first about Jubilee. Um, Jubilee was probably the least practical thing in the entire law of Moses. Um, Jubilee was the thing that every seven years, all debts are canceled, all slaves are set free, and anything that you owe anybody is just gone. It's, it's forgiven. And so consider that. Like every seven years, the student loan company calls everybody who owes student loans and goes, hey, don't worry about it. You know, we, we got it. Every seven years, a mortgage company calls everybody and goes, hey, that house is yours now. Don't, don't, don't send us any more money. Um, it's not super sustainable. And so the people in Israel had a really difficult time sticking with Jubilee, but it's a really important thing that Jesus uh, hit on whenever he got into his ministry. So let's read Deuteronomy chapter 15. At the end of every seventh year, you must cancel the debts of everyone who owes you money. This is how it must be done. Everyone must cancel the loans they have made to their fellow Israelites. They must not demand payment from their neighbors or relatives, for the Lord's time of release has arrived. This release from debt, however, applies only to your fellow Israelites, not to the foreigners living among you. There should be no poor among you. 
For the Lord your God will greatly bless you in the land he's giving you as a special possession. You will receive this blessing if you are careful to obey all the commands the Lord your God that I am giving you today. The Lord your God will bless you as he has promised. You will lend money to many nations, but will never need to borrow. You will rule many nations, but they will not rule over you. But if there are any poor Israelites in your towns, when you arrive in the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Instead, be generous and lend them whatever they need. Do not be mean-spirited or refuse someone a loan because the year for canceling debts is close at hand. If you refuse to make the loan to the, and the needy person cries out to the Lord, you will be considered guilty of sin. Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. There will always be some in the land who are poor. That is why I am commanding you to share freely with the poor and with other Israelites in need. If a fellow Hebrew sells himself or herself to be your servant and, uh, and serves you for six years, in the seventh year, you must set that servant free. When you release a male servant, do not send him away empty-handed. Give him a generous farewell gift from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. Share with him some of your bounty with which the Lord your God has blessed you. Remember that you once were slaves in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I'm giving you this command. But suppose your servant says, I will not leave you because he loves you and your family and he has done well with you. In that case, take an awl and push it through the, his earlobe into the door. After that, he will be your servant for life. And do the same with your female servants. You must not consider it a hardship when you release your servants. Remember that for six years, they have given you services worth double the wages of hired workers. And the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do. You get this spirit of, in, uh, of, of complete and comprehensive generosity. Right? Um, you give to people when you see that they have a need. You live open-handed. And every seven years, you remember that the Lord has set you free from Egypt, and therefore you set free everyone who owes you anything. And it's because of God's love for you that you, in turn, show love for other people. It's because of God's generosity toward you that you live open-handed and generous toward others. This is what Jubilee was all about. But again, it's kind of hard to stick to it. Um, the people started realizing, hey, um, if I'm the one that's paying off everybody's debt, I'm going to be in debt myself. Um, if I'm the one losing all my servants, I'm going to end up being a servant myself. And so from time to time, this moment would come up where they would remember Jubilee. Something would happen. The, the people would be set free from exile or something wonderful would happen from God. And they would go, let's declare this Jubilee. And so it came up as sort of a special occasion from time to time. But by no means did it continue every seven years. But then when Jesus came along, he brought Jubilee back to the front and center of everyone's lives. And he doesn't formally declare it. He doesn't formally use that language. But it's amazing to look back through all of Jesus' teachings, his parables especially, and see all the places where the spirit of Jubilee was fully alive in what he did and what he taught. Um, in Luke chapter 4, whenever he went to the temple, he read from Isaiah chapter 61. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. 
He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently, and then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. So if you continue reading the rest of Isaiah 61, it goes on much like this. Uh, Basically, anything good that you can imagine, Isaiah 61 lists it. Um, everybody who's in trouble is set free. Everybody who owes money is released. Everybody who's captive, you're not a captive anymore. And, and on and on, in the entire chapter of Isaiah 61 goes. And so in Jesus' tradition especially, you often would say like the first couple of lines of something in order to indicate the full version of it. And that's a little bit of what's happening here. He only read the first few lines, but the entirety of Isaiah 61 is laid out before the people. And he says, everything you've just heard is fulfilled today. This is what I've come to do. This is my entire mission. And then consider the parables of Jesus that reference debt being canceled or ignored. The parable of the unmerciful servant. He's one of two servants who had his debt canceled by the king. And then he went and demanded that his uh, payment that was owed to him be paid. And when it wasn't, he threw the guy in prison. The unjust steward. Uh, The parable in which uh, the guy knows that the king is coming back and he hasn't handled the money very well, so he goes to all of the debtors who owe the king money and he forgives all the debts, knowing that uh, the time is coming when he's going to be in debt. And so he does this, uh, in Jesus' mind, very wise thing by canceling the debts of people. Uh, The story of the prodigal son, the prodigal spent his entire inheritance before his father was dead and then he returned while his father was still alive. He owed his dad some stuff. He owed his dad some money, and yet that debt was canceled. The Good Samaritan, it's not so much about debt, but it is about this level of generosity, that this person was in need, and so the Samaritan poured himself out on behalf of the person. So the spirit of Jubilee was exactly what Jesus was referring to when he talked about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. It was what he believed himself to be doing when he healed anyone, when he taught about giving away not just your cloak, but your tunic too. When he said, don't just go one mile, go two miles. When he said to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, all of these were signs that Jubilee had come. And not that it had just come for this one moment, but it was here permanently. The kingdom of God had arrived among you, and Jubilee is now the way of life. And so the new community that began to take shape at Pentecost It was the first community of people to begin living out Jubilee as the primary mark of life. So this is where we get into Acts chapter 2. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And then Acts chapter 4, all the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. 
There were no needy people living among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give it to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, one of the apostles, nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold the field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. So this jubilee had taken hold of the community um, they, they decided to live not just with that as an exception, not, like, not kind of like Christmas that comes along once a year, but instead of doing it once every so often, this became the way of life. Um, N.T. Wright has a couple quotes that I'm going to share uh, throughout the teaching time today. The first of those is this. Luke is making the striking controversial claim that the early Christian movement was, in effect, the true covenant community that God had always intended to set up. It had been achieved by the massive and total forgiveness of sins and debts accomplished by Jesus in his death. Jesus had, after all, announced as his agenda the program of Jubilee set out in Isaiah 61 and had gone around talking about forgiveness of both sins and debts. Now his followers were, in the most practical way possible, making real the implied promise of covenant renewal. They're living it out now in real time. Um, Jubilee had come. And it was lived out in these four marks of the community, um, these four ways that all the people came together to practice Jubilee, the apostles' teaching, the common life of shared possessions, the breaking of bread, and of prayer. These are the four things that Luke says identified and marked the community that developed as a result of Pentecost. Um, and so each of these things took top priority and we'll see here in a couple of weeks how the apostles' teaching took priority even over the apostles being part of the distribution of food. They believed it was their job to teach. Um, but this common life is really what we're zeroing in on this morning. It's this idea that everything is ours. There's no yours and mine. Everything is just ours to share. Um, we run into this problem a lot in our family, especially around like birthday time. Because we just have this standing rule in our family that um, if there's something in our home, it belongs to all of us. Unless it's mommy and daddy's, then it's hands off. Uh, but, it, you know, if there's like a toy in the house, everybody has access to the toy. But when it's your birthday and you like got the toy as a birthday gift and you're ready to play with it and a brother comes and goes, well, it's mine and takes it and starts playing with it. We, we have to work through some of these things together on a practical level. Uh, but we try our best to live with that spirit, that nothing is mine, nothing is yours, everything is ours. Um, this is part of what he meant in Acts chapter 4 when he said, all the believers were united in heart and mind. It wasn't just that they agreed on everything, and sometimes we stop there, right? Whenever we, we believe that as a people we have to be united, uh, we have to be equally yoked, we have to be all of these things that, uh, that unite us together, a lot of times uh, we believe that it means we have to agree on everything. We'll see that part of the struggle of creating a, a community based around Jesus and his teachings means you're not going to agree. That's, that's part of the whole deal. But it's a matter of working through it with each other. So it's not just a matter of agreeing on disputable matters, but it's also a readiness to regard others' needs as my own. It's this readiness to look at somebody and go, hey, um, you just lost this possession of yours that was really valuable to you. And so it's not just that you lost something, it's that we lost something. 
um, whenever I see that you're lacking food, it's not just that you're lacking food, it's that now we are lacking food. And so whenever the people begin to see everything as not yours and mine, but as ours, then every need was mutually felt and mutually shared. Um, I, I came across this blog quote this week, just uh, doing lots of reading up on this passage, and I, I cut and pasted it so I could save it, and then when I went back to find it, I couldn't. And so this is random blog quote from random person whom I don't know. Um, so uh, there's, there's your, your source quote for that. But I, I found it really fascinating. Um, the author said, rather than systematically prescribing the distribution of wealth in such a way as to ensure flat equality, the earliest church accepted the reality of, equi- of economic disequilibrium. But they practiced a radical generosity whereby goods properly existed for the benefit of the whole, not the individual. This form of generosity is, in many ways, more challenging than a rigid system of rules. It calls for ongoing responsiveness, mutual involvement in the lives of community members, and a continual willingness to hold possessions loosely, valuing relationships within the community more than the false security of possessions. Um, So what this means uh, to me is that they recognized that this passage from Deuteronomy that we read, that there will always be poor among you. There will always be somebody who has less than somebody else. Their concern was not that everything would be 100% equal always for all people. Their concern was that I would be so closely connected to you in relationship that I will know when you're in need and I will give of what I have to you. Um, Sometimes we read passages like this and we go, see, this is the rule. This is how God wants it. This is how it has to be. We have to share everything. And we turn a, a passage like Acts 2 or a passage like Acts 4 into this rigid system of rules where we go, everybody share everything. And if you're not sharing everything, then Jesus hates you. Um, and we turn it into this, like, a, a, another form of fundamentalism, this other form of legalism, where we try to build community around this rigid system of rules, and if you're not going to participate in the rules, then you're out of the community. But that's not what was happening. It's actually much more difficult than that. It's pretty easy to give everybody a list of rules and say, you have to do this if you want to be part of us. That's pretty simple. What's hard is to go, we're going to invite you in here, um, and we're going to know you so well that we respond to every need you have. That takes work. It doesn't just take work in knowing what's going on with people. It takes work in being able to give grace and compassion to people. Because... Anytime a sizable group comes together, there's somebody in it that you don't like, right? There's somebody in it that rubs you the wrong way. There's somebody in it that irritates you. And so part of the work is not just knowing the need. Part of the work is seeing that there is need and responding in a way that that reflects the grace and compassion of Jesus, not your own uh, personal interests and not your own personal preference, but that you are now the embodiment of Jesus toward other people. And so this is much more difficult than just saying, here are the rules of what it means to live in community, uh, because it requires this deep, intense connectedness with one another. Um, The cool thing about this way of living, this Jubilee-style life, is that the people took generosity 
and made it the foundation of who they were. Most of the time we take generosity and we make it something that we do on the periphery whenever we have enough to spare. Um, being generous and, and being kind and being giving to people, that's something that we typically do whenever we feel like it or whenever we're moved to do something like the dragon boat races where it's this whole collective thing where we all get together and go, yes, we're going to go do that. But rarely do we make generosity the way we go about living life. Rarely do we intentionally Every day, look for ways to give of myself and of my possessions. Rarely do we look for ways every day to give up my own power and my own control. But that's what Jubilee was about. Um, Ian, I've got a, a video on there that I'd like to show. I've shown this before, um, and I, I, I sincerely looked for like something else to show to, to illustrate generosity, uh, but then I just gave up. I was like, no, this one's my favorite, so we're just going to watch it again. Um, it's this Thai life insurance commercial. Some of you may remember this. Just so random that it's this life insurance commercial, but it's this guy who goes about practicing generosity and then begins to see what happens whenever he lives every day uh, with generosity at the forefront of who he is. Oh, I love it. I love it. Um, I like that it, it kind of intentionally shows people kind of shaking their head, like, oh, that guy's just wasting his time. Because I, I think that's kind of the point. Like, it, it doesn't really make a lot of sense, you know. Um, and, but it, it, it does make sense whenever you change um, the currency that you're seeking. Like, if, if the currency that rules your life is money and wealth and the accumulation of things and power, if that's your currency, then, yeah, that, that makes zero sense. But what the people in Acts 2 and Acts 4 did was they changed the currency that drove their life. It was no longer the accumulation of things. It was happiness. It was love. It was getting this, this experience of watching the world become a more beautiful place. Um, and so whenever that becomes the thing that you're after, and all the money and all the wealth and all the possessions, those are kind of a byproduct, um, then we begin to understand what this new community was all about. Because it... it it, it was not about amassing power. It was about having these moments where you go, Jesus has manifest himself here now among us because I feel this deep sense of love toward you. Jesus has manifest himself here among us because I feel this genuine peace here within this community. Jesus has manifest himself among us because there's healing taking place here. There's love and there's joy and there's happiness all happening here among us. And that was the currency that drove them. Um, and so part of the question that, that we're confronted with, with passages like this, is what is it that we're after? You know, what is it that you want out of your life? Because if you're after the accumulation of things, that's fine, but as we all know, that eventually leads to severe disappointment. Um, but when we make love and compassion, uh, grace and mercy, when that's the, the currency that drives us, we begin to live accordingly. Uh, another N.T. Wright quote, What you do with money and possessions declares loudly what sort of community you are. And the statement made by the early church's practice was clear and definite. No wonder they were able to give such powerful testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. They were demonstrating that it was a reality in ways that many Christians today, who often sadly balk at even giving a tithe of their income to the church, can only dream of. And that's, that's not a knock uh, on people who don't tithe. That's a recognition 
that we have a difficult time as followers of Jesus in our modern day of grasping this because we're so reluctant to give ourselves away because we're driven by the currency of the world rather than by the currency of Christ. And so in order to fully understand what's going on here, we have to invert the power that stuff has over us. Uh, We have to invert the power that the accumulation of wealth has over us. And we have to subversively live as people who are pursuing uh, deeper and more powerful things. Because this is what happens whenever we collectively accept Jesus' way of peace, inclusivity, mercy, and generosity. Um, Jesus' crucifixion was a rejection by the Jewish leaders of his way of life. It was a rejection of Jesus' teaching on this system of jubilee. It was a rejection of Jesus reaching out beyond just the Jewish elite. It was a rejection of his grace and his mercy and his generosity. And it was this act of of declaring, we're going to hold on to the power that we possess. And so this new community was a rebellion against that. This new community was an acknowledgement that, no, we fully accept and endorse the way of Jesus. We fully welcome the way that he taught us to live, and we're going to go about doing it in community together. Um, And so what do you base your life on? In what ways can you be more generous? Because one of the other things that I really like about that video is that he didn't do anything hard, you know? It was as he was going about doing his normal things, as he was walking to, to work, I would assume, he stopped and gave some money. As he was walking home, he stopped and helped the, the lady with her cart. Um, you know, at the store, he just grabbed an extra bunch of bananas and hung them on the lady's door. Like, he didn't go uh, way far out of his way. It was just as he went about his own life, he recognized that the same needs he has, others probably have too, so I can pitch in and help. And so I think all of us can do at least that. As we go about living our life and recognize the needs that people have, we can go, hey, I I can help with that. I can do that. Um, As we collectively learn more and more about each other, as we deepen our own relationships as a church community, um, we can recognize the needs that we all share, and we can go, hey, that's not just your need, that's our need. And so because you're lacking something, we're all lacking something, so we're going to pitch in and we're going to help you out. Um, And what we'll see in the coming weeks is that this began with the Jewish people in Jerusalem, but it began to grow, and and it it extended beyond just the people that were in the inner circle. Um, All right, last N.T. Wright quote. This one actually is not up on the screen. Um, This is the last thing that I want to share about uh, this whole uh, passages in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. He says, When Jesus' followers behave like this, They sometimes find to their surprise that they have a new spring in their step. This is an attractiveness, an energy about life in which we stop clinging on to everything we can get and start sharing it, giving it away, celebrating God's generosity by being generous ourselves. And that attractiveness is one of the things that draws other people in. They were praising God, says Luke, and stood in favor with the people. And day by day, the Lord was adding to their number those who were being rescued. Of course they were. And of course he did. That's how it works. Where the church today finds itself stagnant, unattractive, humdrum, and shrinking. And sadly, there are many churches in the Western world, at least, of which that has to be admitted. 
It's time to read Acts 2, 42 to 47 over again. Get down on our knees and ask what isn't happening that should be happening. The gospel hasn't changed. God's power hasn't diminished. People still need rescuing. What are we doing about it? And so we end today with the same question that we ended last week. The kingdom of God is here. What are we doing about it? Um, The kingdom of God lives among us and within us. So are we living fully into the kingdom itself? Um, One of the things that we'll we'll continue doing, uh, a couple weeks ago we packed the care packages for Molly and Paxton, and those should arrive sometime this week. Um, But we do, we want to take intentional time to care for one another, even in the the context of our worship time. Um, And and as we go about living life together, we want to be way more intentional about how we care for and meet each other's needs. So one of the things we have to be willing to do is to say when we're in need. Uh, Because sometimes that's the hardest part. Everybody here, I would assume, is willing to pitch in and go, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, if there's a need, let me help you out. Most of us, though, are reluctant to speak up when we have one. Um, so stop, (laughs) um, speak up, speak out, let people jump into your life and help you. Sometimes one of the most generous things you can do is let people love you. Let people be generous toward you. Um, so as we move along together as a community, uh, these are the ways in which we, we expect to grow. Um, stand with me. I'd love to bless us and then we'll continue, uh, with another song. Let's pray. It's in the spirit of Jubilee, Father, and in the spirit of of Jesus and all that he did and all that he stood for and all that he taught uh, that we gather this morning acknowledging our need for not just you, but our need for each other and for this community. So make us more generous. Um, Invert the ways in which we seek uh, things and stuff. May those all be a byproduct of our life and let love and grace and compassion and generosity be the things that we pursue wholeheartedly. And so we offer all of this up through the name of Jesus who gave everything for us. Amen.